Olympic athlete performing at his early 20s has basically had no life in the last 15, 17 years of their life. They're, they're focused. And now they got all the glory. And, but we want the, all the glory without paying that price. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. If you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, you'll see that we've got a whole brand new setup here. I'm clicking a set of tongs. We've got uh, a new grill. If you cut to the grill cam there, we've actually got a brand new grill that we're going to be grilling on today. And today, I'm very excited about two things. One, we're grilling Polish sausage. It's easy. You can't really you can't really screw it up other than if, as long as you don't burn it because it's already cooked, but it's super delicious. And we're talking to my friend Simon Chan, who's going to talk to us about all sorts of things, including consistency. So welcome, Simon, to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me here. It's an honor. I love the concept. I love the idea. Great marketing. I love it, Jared. Well, thank, thank you for you. having me on. Better marketing than cooking, I'm afraid. <laughs> So we're going to put these bad boys on there right now. So I've got this. Uh, this is a pellet grill. Don't hate me, barbecue purists. Uh, I'm putting some already smoked uh, sausage on there. It's, we've got it at 350. And uh, we're just going to kind of let these things crisp up a little bit on the outside and maybe smoke it a little bit more. I actually got these. Uh, I was at a trade show this weekend, and there was a guy there that was giving out he had like a million sausages and cheeses and things, and he would go by and just, here you go, you, you eat this, you try, and he would just shove like a pound of sausage, but then by the time you're done with that, you're buying, I spent like $120 on sausages at this thing, so that's where that came from. Hey, sampling works. Yeah, it does. So, um, Simon, why don't we start out, tell us a little bit about who you are, give us a little background. I'm a shy, quiet Asian kid that grew up in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Uh, I speak fast. Definitely very different from Alabamans. I mean, even though I love Alabama, I've been to a mobile, a very memorable trip. I went back there uh, about like 10 years ago. Nice. Uh, so I do my best to speak a little slower. But uh, English is my third language. I was just born and raised very stereotypical uh, Asian parents. Study, study, study. Go get a good job. You know, my dad was basically rags to riches. Uh, was Grew up in the ghetto in Hong Kong. Immigrated to U.S. and became a doctor. And uh, I grew up as always, one of the richest kids in a public school. Wow. Now, I wasn't really rich, but, like, always one of the, the richest kids in a public school. And, but I never, I always wanted, as you can see, um, I was talking to Alex before, I'm very into sports, right? So, as a kid, I've always wanted to uh, play baseball with my dad. I see these, uh, go to Nick games, Yankee games, and my dad was always busy. And then, so, but I always thought that you just study, study, and you go to school. So I, I studied hard. I went to a good school, and I got a job. Uh, I loved the job. It was a very low-paying job. I loved the job. And then I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. That totally changed my life. Yep. It was basically teaching you about residual income. Like, you work hard once, and you don't have to work again. You get continually paid. I was like, that sounds so good, but, you know, where do you do this? Oh, you can get for real estate. You can do it from royalties. Uh, I didn't have any money to buy properties. I didn't want to live off my parents. And then I discovered after reading multiple books about, you know, Robert Allen's multiple streams of income. I went uh, The Millionaire Next Door, The Millionaire Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. I discovered direct selling. And um, some people know it's network marketing or multi-level marketing, MLM. 
people say there's a negative perception about it. I never, you know, Jared, I, no one ever approached me about multi-level. I was in my 20s. I didn't even know what it was. I've never been exposed to it. But I was just fascinated that uh, you could do this for a couple hundred dollars, make a six-figure income. And I was super skeptical. I was very skeptical. Didn't believe it. Uh, but at the same time, I read Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And, you know, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. God's a big part of my life. And after doing the 40 uh, days of exercises, I realized that God's purpose for me was to have a positive impact as many lives as possible. And even though I'm a shy, quiet kid, I always enjoy mentoring and coaching others. Uh, back in high school, I used to, uh, back in college, I used to uh, run basketball clinics in Chinatown in the, at the Y in New York City. I would uh, help out with my youth fellowship at church in college, right? So I, and I, the more I looked into direct selling, it was really about helping people. Like, if you want to make some money, quick money, you can make some sales. But if you want long-term residual, passive income, which was I was looking for, it's about helping others. And I think you can go that for any business, right? You, if you really want a long a business that lasts, it's about helping others. Um, and so that's how I got started. I got started with direct, uh, direct selling in 2003, uh, built a seven-figure business. Wow. Um, I still earn a passive income from that business today. And then 10 years ago, I launched my second business, which was uh, MLM Nation, which is basically teaching people, is coaching and training people business, the teaching people in direct selling how to be successful. So that's a little bit about me. So uh, first of all, I have a hard time say you keep saying shy Asian kid, <laughs> quiet shy Asian kid, and I'm <laughs> I'm not seeing the quiet and shy part for sure. But so I, uh, it's interesting you you brought up Rich Dad Poor Dad. That was a book that actually affected me a lot. As a, as a young person, too. And anybody out there that's never read that book, if you're trying to, like, get on your entrepreneurship journey or just trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, like, that is absolutely required reading because it really, after that book, it sort of takes you out of the rat race a little bit and you start to kind of see the whole field, right? And you see, like, mm. oh, you know, growing up, I, I grew up in, like, a super blue-collar background and, you know, didn't, didn't have a lot of, like, wildly successful, certainly, like, a lot of entrepreneurs around me. And so, like, I would look at somebody that owned a dentist office that was really successful as this wildly successful person. And certainly that person is successful. But if you read that book, it explains to you just how tethered you are. You sort of you own a job, right? You don't necessarily own yeah. a business as much as you own a job. If you don't show up to, you know, to, to run that to actually see the patients, then you're in, you're in trouble. You don't make any money. And so the, the point is to move into that. He has these quadrants. You move into the investor quadrant, right? And that's where you get passive income. And that's where you really get, you know, the freedom that, that people always talk about. Um, so when you got into direct selling, uh, was that new to you? Had, you? had you ever done sales before or was sales something that you grew up around or was that kind of foreign? Oh, it was, like I said, I have no business experience. I, I mean, you talk about not the quiet part. I think you learn to turn it on and learn to turn it off, yeah. right? Uh, introverts. Like, so if you're listening to this and you are shy, quiet, you say, oh, I can never be like Jared. Be on. You learn to turn it on and turn it off. And like I said, I, I love to be on. It's an honor for me to be on here, but I've turned it on. But my natural self is like, I want to be by myself and not talk to anyone. But you turn it on and you turn it off. Right, so I, I mean, once I'm on the show, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. But I'll be honest, right before the show, it's like, oh, I gotta be on the podcast, okay. <laughs> but once I'm on here, I'm having a lot of fun. Right, I think that's the difference, right? That's the difference. It's like I learned early on that successful people, what my mentors told me, successful people do things that unsuccessful people don't. 
right? Successful people do things that unsuccessful people don't. And so I was like, I didn't like to make sales calls, but successful people do things that unsuccessful people don't. And I was like, well, then I started thinking, well, successful people, maybe they're born different. Maybe they're just outgoing. And then my mentor said, well, successful people, all the stuff you don't like to do, Simon, successful people also don't like to do it, but they do it anyway. That's right. And you really got to think like slow co- slow smoke. Like slow, it's got a long-term process. I think that's a part, key to my success is I always thought long-term. I've seen a lot of people go short-term, I want to make quick money, this and that. But most of the time, you, you know, someone mentioned to me once, it was like another mentor, and it's like how your perception of how in the time frame, right, the shorter the time frame it is, the less successful you are. Right, the longer term you can think, the more successful you are. So he gave an example of like uh, someone who's a drug addict, very short span. He's just thinking of, oh, but my next hit. What can I do to get to my next hit? Right. While as opposed to someone who's a visionary, they're thinking like 10, 20, 50 years, or someone who's creating a legacy like hundreds, hundreds of years. So the longer term, the slower it is. You eventually get to where you want because most people they overestimate what they can do in the short term but they underestimate what they can do in the long term. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, so I heard, I remember Tony Robbins said that and and I don't remember what the context was, but he said something about like people overestimate what they can do in a year, but vastly underestimate what they can do in a decade. Right. And the, absolutely, yeah. it's, it's such a, it's such a, that's such an eye opener because what that means is like, everybody reads these stories about, this guy got successful in this way. And, you know, and even when they heard your bio, like when you hear you say it in a 30 second run, it sounds like it didn't take a long time, but I know it took a long time, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't, there's anything that you can flip a switch and become really successful. It could turn off just as quick is is my belief, right? right? It's if, if you find something that's that easy to turn on, it's going to be really easy for it to turn off as well. It's going to be fleeting. And so to build lasting success, it's, it's, you know, what you always talk about in your book, right? It's consistency, right? It's getting up every day. That's why we named the show slow smoke business is because it was sort of a counterbalance to a lot of the podcasts that are out there about like, you know, look, I got all the love in the world for Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley has beat, this weird narrative into people's heads that, you know, you cook up, it's like the, I think his name was Kevin Systrom, the guy that created Instagram guy launches Instagram in its current form and sells it for a billion dollars, a little over a billion or whatever to Facebook in 18 months. Right. And so people read that story and they think, Oh, well that's what I got to be shooting for. And that is, that is like getting struck by lightning three times holding a winning lottery ticket. Like it just doesn't, happen that way and for people to aim at success with that in mind it's just going to send them down the wrong path making the wrong decisions yeah it's just, yeah, it's just and, not a sustained way of, of being successful yeah definitely and you also don't know about there's this thing there's a story uh there's a line <clears throat> someone i heard recently a while back was like everyone loves the glory but not the story yeah. right so oh. you talk about the instagram founders they made a billion dollars in 18 months it didn't take them 18 months i don't know what kevin systems background is Right, like you talk about Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, he made Facebook while he was in college and instantly made billions of dollars. He didn't make Facebook in college. I was reading somewhere like uh, his dad was the dentist, and at 11 years old, he was coding and made a software to help his dad with billing. 
Yeah. So he started at maybe like eight years old, six years old doing stuff. Wasn't because he started 18, started Facebook at 18. It's he probably did like, you know, he did more in 10 years as a kid than most people have, right? So it is, it takes, it's a process. You got to, you know, um, talk about Alabama, Nick Saban, right? Nick oh, Saban, yeah. I love, love, the, love the process. Yeah. That's what I teach my boys this in the locker room. Love the process. If you don't love the process, you're not going to make, the, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. That's, that's the, uh, that's the thing I think people – Nick Saban's a great example. By the way, I'm a Florida alum, so I don't – I have, like, deep <laughs> distaste for Nick, Nick Saban's success on the field, but a massive respect for the way he operates. I mean, for somebody to have been consistently successful like he is, you don't see him get sucked into uh, habit or get – I mean, he's reinvented himself a bunch of times because he understands it's the process that he falls in love with over and over – uh, yeah. and, and I've, you know, gosh, even my Florida Gators, right. When I've watched them as a football program, like they'll, they'll surge and have success, but it can't be sustained if it's not built on the repeatable processes, right. If it's built on like Absolutely, a couple of superstars yeah. and you've puffed up their ego and by the time they're seniors, like there's all sorts of social issues in the team, like, it's just not sustainable. And I think, um, I, I think we've kind of culturally like over the last 15 years or so, when it became, you know, Shark Tank became a big thing on TV and it became kind of like cool to think of yourself as like, maybe I'll be a founder or whatever else. I'll start a company. It, it became, I don't know, it, it just became like this really weird Hollywood hero journey and people would see it and it's this, it's this like romantic thing that you do. And it just, that's just not real life. Like real life and entrepreneurship is packing yourself uh, your lunch in the morning and throwing some extra snacks in there because you you know you may not actually have time to eat that lunch, so you're going to bite a granola bar as you go, and you're just going to kind of keep fire. You know what I mean? Or, um, or you have a big client coming in today, and someone taps you on the shoulder, and all of your toilets are clogged, and you got to run around like a madman with a toilet plunger trying to get your plumbing to look right. So when your customer – like, that's what real entrepreneurship is. It's not like, you know – uh, there, there are moments where it seems like, oh, it's like the social network movie or whatever. But in truth, most of it is just rowing the boat, right? And personality conflicts of people. Like I, people, people tend to forget that businesses are just big groups of people. And you have to manage those people uh, based on their personalities and the things that they uh, worry about, you know? And so I, I, don't, I don't know if, I think that's kind of gotten better. I feel like today's culture is a little more eye-opener we don't lionize people as much as we used to um but i still think i still think people don't really understand what it takes to be successful over a long period of time yeah i think you know our attention spans are short right we live in the tiktok generation where it used to be of people watch people will watch a one minute video two minute video now it's like 10 seconds five seconds eight seconds right and so when you our attention spans are shorter and shorter people's they can't stay focused and so and i always believe the ones that can stay focused now i teach my boys this the ones that can stay focused are the ones that are going to win the ones that get distracted and never going to win and I, I didn't forget uh to mention when i first started i wanted to do multi you know there's a thing about multiple streams of income right yeah and i always say multiple streams of income bs you can't do multiple streams at one time now you can do multiple streams in a lifetime if you give like five years, I'm going to build this business and then move on to the next thing. Yes, you can. But during that five years, like you said, you got to grind. You got to grind. You got to, you're not going to, the sacrifices need to be made. Like people, if you're listening to this, you want to make, 
be make it big, right? It's kind of like you want to be the Olympic athlete, the Olympian, the gold medalist. That person has basically has no think about it. Olympic athlete performing at his like 20, early twenties has basically had no life in the last 15, 17 that's, years of their life. That's right. They're, they're focused, and now they got all the glory. And but we want the, all the glory without paying that price. And you're gonna be out of balance, and that's another thing people talk about work-life balance. If you want to be successful, I, I don't believe in work-life ba- balance. Now overall. You can have work-life balance, but while you're building something, there is no balance. Because if it is balance, you're never going to be successful. There's always going to be someone that's going to outwork you. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Emily Lay, she's been on the podcast, super successful entrepreneur in her own right. And when we were talking, we talked about that and that it's unrealistic to think that you can have this sort of perfect work-life balance in every little 24-hour window. I think that's where people beat themselves up too much, like, man – I didn't really, I didn't really get a, ch- I didn't tuck my kids into bed tonight and I didn't like, and those things happen in life. You got to give yourself some grace. She talks about life in sort of seasons. And I love thinking of yep. it in that way that there's a season where, man, I'm grinding, right? And I'm, I'm up late, up early, working, working, working. And then there's a season where hopefully you get it to a place where you can back off. You know what I mean? And you can spend more time at home and you can go do all the things that you were looking to do. And that's the balance to me, right? It's unrealistic to think that every 24-hour period or every seven-day period, there's like this perfect chi balance in there. It's more of, hey, I'm, I'm in a sprint right now. We got to get this thing done. And then when I get done with that, I'm going to do more of this stuff. You just got to make sure that those counterbalance times come. 100%. And, like, the, um, and that's where like the consistency is more important. I, I worry about it in my book. Consistency beats intensity, because mm. like you can't be intense. Like you say, you want to go all out. But intensity doesn't last. That's why. Then there's times and seasons where you slow down a little bit, but you still do a little bit to stay in the game. But you slow down, have that bit balance, you recharge, and then you can go hard again. I'm gonna check our. I'm gonna check our sausage here. See how we're doing. Oh, okay. I need to turn that down just a touch. You know, you talked about, um, you know, fast start success. Yeah. That, that brought me back with the sausage, right? You want a fast start, like, you know, that's like microwave it. You can microwave it, sure. you can eat it, but it's not going to be one-tenth as good, good, right? No way. No way. Um, so in your book, you've got a couple of kind of mantras and things about consistency. Can you – It's is it the – was it three Cs, four Cs? Three Cs. The three Cs. Go, share the three Cs with us. Well, I think um, if you're an entrepreneur – we all start off with zero results. All you have is your vision and your, and your conviction to that vision. So what did people buy? Because, you know, before people buy a product or service, they're buying you, right? So they're buying, number one, your change. How have you changed? What's the change you plan to make in this world? Uh, number two, your commitment, how committed you are, and your consistency, right? So if you're, it doesn't matter what business you are starting. If you don't sell change, people are not going to buy and often you have to, you get the change has to be with you, right? People right. see how you're changing. Maybe you launched a new business, but you're not 100% committed. Uh, people are not going to buy into you. Second is the commitment. Are you showing up all the time? Are you really committed to your vision? Because if you're not committed, you're not going to get the people to buy in. You're not going to get investors. You're not going to get people who, uh, who buy into you. And the last thing is consistency. If you're not showing up every day, then people are wondering, is your vision for real? And, that, and that's why you see the people who, are, who do great PR they're very consistent in getting themselves in the media. Like, like what Elon Musk, whether you like him or not, he's very consistent in staying in the news where he's doing something crazy or something controversial, but he's always consistent. And that's why people say, if you ask him uh, who's the richest people, person in the world, people always say him, right? 
So those are the three things. Your change could maybe consistency. If you're starting a new business right now, or you're in a struggle, you want to launch something new, you're never going to have results right away. Right? It's the chicken versus the egg. You got to, what do people buy? People buy you and those three things. Your change, your, your change, your commitment to that vision, how you show up, and your consistency. Yeah, it's, it actually follows on a mantra we've had on the show a bunch of times. I, I love to talk about progress over perfection, right? And sort of being in love with the idea to get a little better over time instead of like trying to wait on the perfect pitch and knock it out of the ballpark in your first swing, right? I think um, – because. Clear. I love that we can use a lot of baseball analogies with you, by the way. Like, you got all the baseball cards up there, so I know I can use baseball stuff. But, like, if you look back, if you actually zoom back out on this podcast, go back to the beginning episodes. First of all, the first episodes are not are just in a regular studio. I'm just sitting there. And then it was like, I don't know, five or six episodes in, I had the, the idea, like, what if I was grilling out while we did this? Wouldn't that be interesting and it give me something to talk about and everything else, make us a little different? And then the, those first grilling episodes were horrible. Like they just, I'm grill. I've tried five or six different places in my house, and like, I'm just, I'm still learning how to be a podcast person. And at the same time, I'm trying to do like this half-ass cooking show. And how do I keep the sun from melting my? Qu- it was all this crap. But the <laughs> the point was, I kept doing it every week. And Alex, our producer, yep. who's here. Uh, is a saint because he was putting up with it every time we dealt with this. But every time we did it, we got like a little bit better. And there was this like inflection point where there was this one episode where we got done and he and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, like I think we may have cracked the code finally. Like how to podcast outdoors and minimize sound. And there's all these things that I would love to keep doing. Like these headphones that I'm wearing right here. I'm dying to get rid of these giant you know, air traffic control headphones, but it's kind of the only thing we've been able to get consistently to work outdoors. And so I keep doing it this way rather than stopping the podcast and spending months trying to find the right equipment. I just keep putting out, keep putting it out, keep putting it out and doing more. And if you go back and look at the videos of this show, it's gotten better over time. And that's kind of how anything I think that lasts in life is right. It's about getting better each time it's about every, every time you take a swing at something, you try to get a little bit better. Okay, this time I'm going to try to make that work. And this time I'm going to try to make – and pretty soon you look up after a couple of years and you realize, oh, my God, like look how far I am from where I started and look how much further I am than everybody else that, that didn't get started. Yeah, and that inspires people when they see how you've progressed, right? I always, as a saying, I always say, every master was a disaster. But That's consistency, true. and my first podcast was terrible as well, but consistency creates mastery because the learning is not actually the doing. And, you, you know, you use baseball analogies, waiting for the perfect pitch. If you're waiting for the perfect pitch to finally swing, guess what? When the perfect pitch comes, you're going to miss it. <laughs> That's right. right? You got to take the swings so you get ready for that perfect pitch. That's right. And, like, so that's why you have to fall in love with the process. And you, as long as you get 1% better, 1% better, because um, there's a lot of things that you just don't know. And Like, I do this uh, – pep talk, motivational pep talk, five days a week on Instagram and Facebook. And this was a couple months ago where my, I do, I have a little setup here uh, where I do, you know, I have the Facebook live and the Instagram. I yeah. do two phones. I go at the same time and my Facebook live will go and go and my Instagram wasn't working. 
And I was like, what is it? just stopped working. And I, I had to do the whole live twice. It was a total waste of time. Oh. So I finally found out after two weeks of playing around the different buttons on Instagram that if I toggled the front camera on and turn front camera off, all of a sudden it will work. I don't know why my account has that issue, but that's an example of learning the small things. Like you would never learn that in the through tutorial where it is through the doing, right? It's like you talk about the, your lighting setup, the sound. You've done so many episodes. That's how you figure that out. Yeah, and, and sometimes you just suck at it. And they got to be, I guess, comfortable, you know, that you don't build your personal brand as this infallible, faultless, <laughs> like, mythical yeah. creature. Well, right. I, the I, brand I, should be someone that's continuing yeah, improvement. Yeah, like, I think people... The brand that, should be continuing improvement. Yeah, people that know me uh, know that I like to be... I think the, the, the older and more mature I've gotten in my career, the more I'm comfortable being wrong and being, you know, openly trying to figure things out. Because what I've learned is that people that work for me or work with me um, it encourages them to also don't be – I see a lot of people fail because of arrogance, right? I mean, it's just I know the yeah. right answer. And when it clearly becomes, you know, it's not the right answer anymore, people will just drive themselves into the dirt trying to prove that it was the right answer because they're afraid of looking wishy-washy or that they didn't know. Just be comfortable not knowing the answer, but be confident that you can figure it out. Now, that was That was the – like a light bulb moment for me – Confidence isn't knowing uh, I have the right answer or knowing I'm better than everybody. It's knowing that I'll find the right answer or knowing that I'll outwork everybody, right? Because that's something I can control. And those that's where I got my confidence through the years was not that, oh, I'm so much better than everybody else, but knowing that I, I probably will end up outworking everybody. And that's kind of where a lot of success comes from is just that 10% more you're willing to give. Yeah, and then every night, you know, you just – be aware of how did you get better. So, so something I do every night is I write down, number one, three new things I'm grateful for. Ooh. Right? So, so sometimes we figure, right, oh, every day is the same. The same. No, every day is not the same. We're all busted with different things. So tonight, I'm going to write down, hey, I've been on the Slow Smokes podcast. I've never done that in my life. Mm. And when you start becoming aware, you realize how much God has busted you. New things, it could be someone you meet or some new situation or some new street you drove down, something situation, right? Three new things. But also... Three wins you've had. Three things you got a little bit better at. All right. So I learned something about my mic today. I didn't even know that. I learned just a little win. That made me a 1% better in the podcast that I do. Beautiful. Another thing could be, and after the three wins, also three things you do need to get better at. And when you write down, that increases awareness. And when you have the awareness, you can make those tiny little improvements. And through consistency, like you said, Jared, you get a little bit every day. You apply what you learned the previous day. Then you can go really, really far in a couple of years. I love, I love, love, love people that write their thoughts down like that too. It's such an, it's not, I don't, it's just, to me, it's not possible to improve on things you don't measure. And so yeah. if you're trying to improve your life, or you're trying to improve your, your happiness or whatever, like you kind of measure it in some way. Like you don't have to necessarily give it some kind of hokey like number, but you at least have to sort of track your thoughts and write them down. And, and I love that. Um, it doesn't do, need to be fancy. It might no. just bullet points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and now it's even easier. You know, I, I started using Apple Dictation on iPhone, and it works amazing. Oh, wow. So when, after I go to bed, I just take a walk around my neighborhood, five minutes, and just write the, I just talk about what are my wins. Boom, boom, boom. And, and there are three bullet points. Mm. And I save them on a, a note on my phone. And sometimes I go back and realize, oh, I, actually, I was like this. I've grown. I got so much better. And that's one of the best feelings when you see yourself get better. I love it. So I want to ask you something about selling. 
um, because I've, I've talked about this on the show before. If you, if you look at 10 people that have started a business, uh, the one, and, and yeah, out of the 10, let's say two make it, right? The eight that didn't make it, usually there's a, a level of something about r- revenue that di- they didn't make enough revenue. They couldn't, they, and it usually boils down to they're not selling or they're not selling. You know, there's some, some kind of issue with them actually moving enough numbers. And so I tell people all the time, if you're ever going to start a business, you want to be a business person, you have to learn to sell. Whether it's selling a product, whether it's selling yourself, you have to be able to speak to someone and confidently guide them towards, you know, the, the end goal that you're, you're looking to guide them to. Um, so you, you obviously taught yourself a lot as you went. What, when you, if you were going to give somebody some advice on how to be a good salesperson, what would you tell them? To keep it simple and short, I would say be a good listener. All right, so you got to find out what they want. Um, you know, there's a lot of analogies to fish. Find out what's the bait. What do they like? What are they hungry for? Stop thinking. Before I had any sales training, I thought I had to be the smoothest talker. <laughs> no, it's about saying the things that the other person wants to hear. And what do they want to hear? Something to solve their problems. So when you find out their problems, then you can offer something that they want to bite. Like when you're fishing, right? You have to give the right bait. Different fish have different type of bait. So find out your marketplace. And before you jump in that business, really get to know who the marketplace, what the challenges are, what the struggles, right? What are the internal problems? Uh, what are the external problems, internal problems, philosophical problems? Get to know that person well, have that avatar, and then you can... Going off the solution, right? So if, if, if you're meeting, that's just broad marketing, and most businesses fail because of a bad product or bad marketing. They're targeting the wrong people, that's true. or they have a good pro- targeting the right person, but have a bad product or service. So if you're doing one-on-one selling, is get to know the person in advance, right? If there's, and I think nowadays it's so much easier because you have social media and people posting. You can get a little clues on what how to offer things that maybe that person uh, around that demographic, that, that age group, whatever, what their problems are. And so be a good listener. St- think more about the other person instead of yourself. I, it's, you're dead on, right? So I, I'm, I started Proctor U. I'm actually retiring from that business now. And uh, I am in the process of launching a couple other businesses with some other investors and some things. And one of them, a very non-techie kind of thing, is a garage floor company. It's a great product, and you know, we're really excited about it. We had our first trade show over the weekend, and I wanted to go help my team uh, work the booth, right, and just kind of like go through there. And so, had some people come up and talk to us, and uh, had all weekend talking to different people, and more than one person said something to the effect of you guys are the most honest people we've spoken to at this entire trade show. Now I, I gotta be honest. Like we didn't set out and say, Hey guys, we're going to be, let's, let's all be honest, right? Let's make sure we, but what we did with, especially with the people that said that was uh, instead of when they walked up and we say, can't wait to show you how this garage floor last 15 years. And what we did was I'd say like, Hey man, tell me about your garage. And they'd say, well, you know, park a couple cars in there and whatever. And I'm like, well, what else do you do? And well, you know, we store some stuff. And that actually, I got a woodworking shop. Really? Well, what, what kind of stuff do you do? What kind of machines you got? And, like, just genuinely listening, letting them talk about what they're interested in. And then eventually it, the conversation comes back around to the floor that I'm standing on, right? And we go, hey, you know, well, if you ever feel like you want to do something, da, 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 da. that soft kind of sell and that 
listening up front, the people walked away interpreting that I was honest. And I didn't even say yeah. all that much, right? I mean, they did all the talking. But it came off as honesty because I, I genuinely was listening to them, right? And, and I thought I found a way to be interested in what they were talking about. And I made sure the rest of the team kind of heard that in the sense that, like, man, it's not – some of this stuff isn't hard, right? It's not hard to just say, hey, shut up sometimes and just let that person talk. And then don't fake it. Like, find a way to be genuinely interested in what they're saying. And you'll yeah, be I think amazed you said at it. it has connection. to be genuine. Yeah, it has, right, to, be it has genuine. to be genuine. Right? Has to, because um, you know, my, late, uh, my late mentor, Zig Ziglar, told me, if you help Ooh. enough people get what they want in life, you get everything you want in life. But if you're thinking about, oh, what am I going to sell, how am I going to come in with that pitch, that's not genuine. Right. right. That means and people can feel that. That's when people feel that the little uh, spider sense radar is like, oh, you're trying to sell me something. But yeah. when you really care about people, like what you said, listener, that's when the bills trust. That's when people trust you. It's the truth. And I mean, and that comes from helping. I'm, I'm here to help someone. Yeah. I want to get to know them. Yes. The best salespeople are people that are trying to solve a problem. Right. Yeah. And they and they look at what they are selling as problem solving. I need to explain to you the problem that we solve, genuinely find out if you have this problem, and then make sure that you understand that we can solve it for you and that we would be the best bet to, to solve it for you. That's like, you know, non-cheesy selling in a nutshell, right? It's cheesy selling, slimy selling is like, you know, all, only talking about the product, only talking about you, you know. I, I say this, it actually applies to marketing too. Like if you look at someone's marketing, you look at a business's marketing, the best marketing talks about the consumer. So like they're talking about what this thing, you, the way you feel or the way what you want or whatever, not saying like proud to be in business for 27 years. Like no one cares, right? What I care right. about is whatever the problem is that you solve. So if it's a garage floor, I care that my garage floor is nasty and dirty all the time. Or if it's, you know, online proctoring, I care, care that people are cheating on tests. Like, I don't really care that this is an award-winning business. I care about myself, my problem, if I'm the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it goes back to being caring, listening, right? Not thinking about what you have to say. How's those sausages let's coming get a, Let's get a sausage check in here. That's a weird thing to say. All right, so... Um, <laughs> so I got smoke in my eyes. This is actually going really well. So I'm going to flip it one more time. Um, like I said, it was already smoked and cooked. So it could have been, we're really just trying to get a nice crisp on the skin, which it looks like we've got, we want to, one of the things about sausages like this is you want to try to make it so a, that it doesn't burn and you really don't want the skin to break, right? Because once the skin breaks, then you're going to get all that like moisture, and the juiciness inside there to start seeping out. So you want to try to keep it where you cook it just right. So I've got it actually really low, just kind of hitting it with some heat and some smoke, and that's working out pretty good. Ironically, no one in the house, you know, people people ask me about this show. They go, oh, man, your wife must love, like, when you do these shows, and you bring all this, like, barbecue and stuff upstairs, and kind of no, <laughs> right? Because I'm usually, like, grilling <laughs> something weird or – you know, ah, she's, I don't really like that. And so, like, half the time it's, like, me eating a lot of it, probably too much of it, and, and calling a neighbor and go, hey, you want some you want some chicken or you want some, you know, you know, salmon rolls or whatever the heck it is we've made. Very hey, and you must be very good at it. How many episodes mm, has this been? I wouldn't say that I was very good at it. I, so this is, Alex, how many episodes have we This is about 30, 30-something 30 
He'll he'll find out. Yeah. So I I have been clear to say this is not a culinary podcast, and I am by no means. <sighs> An expert, I am an enthusiast, right? And so I do it, and I get enthusiastic about it, and I love it, but by no means am I an expert because the moment you start claiming expertise, someone's always better, uh, and they're going to come yeah. in. There's but, some- but I love the marketing. I love the market, how it's different, you know, because I've been approached by so many shows, and, well, i got to do another show. But, like, being on a cooking show about business, yeah. that immediately got an attention. Well, cool. And I think the marketing, you talk about selling yourself. You talk about selling, you got to stand out. Now, one of the best books I've read was The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. If you're a black and white cow, you get slaughtered. If you're purple, you stand out. And this show is definitely a purple cow. Wow, so thanks, great man. job on it. Very good. I appreciate that. Well, uh, I hope the host can – 29. So I was one short. So the next – we did 28 episodes in the first season. It was a, there was a time I didn't know if we'd make it past episode four. Uh, but we, we are almost 30 episodes in now and really excited. Got a lot of good guests lined up. Uh, this time too, and I'm. It's interesting. I'm I'm shifting my focus a little bit in this season. In that I'm kind of doing less. Like if you go to the early episodes, I was really hitting entrepreneurship. Hey, let's let's talk to someone who has a startup and what's your story and how'd you get there and what can you tell our listeners and da da da. And I think I'm now evolving towards. I just want to have good conversations with smart people. Right. And, and share some ideas. And that's kind of like what we're talking about today. I love the fact that a lot of times I'll talk to somebody and they're like, OK, I got to plug this. I got to plug that. You've got a cool book out. I hope everybody goes and finds uh, his book. And, and by the way, tell them tell them what it's called. It's called The Consistency Pill. And for anyone who struggles with consistency, you know, you need to be you know, you need to be consistent in different parts of your life. I think it will help them out. And where can they find it? Amazon, I'm assuming. Amazon, yep. the consistency Little, pill. Amazon, the consistency pill. So go check out that book um, because everybody needs consistency. I think it's the part that – it's the part of the game that people forget about, right? It's like everybody thinks it's a quick and thing. And, you know, I've been, I've been trying to like – I'm 41 now, so I'm trying to like get in better shape so I can have a longer-lasting kind of life. And that thing that I've realized with that is like I got to make the goal not like a weight loss goal or a lifting goal or whatever but the goal is like the consistency like a couple years ago it was like a light switch when I finally changed my mind from I'm gonna lose 10 pounds or 15 pounds to I'm gonna get up and work out five days a week that's the goal right and not it was the consistency was the goal the process was the goal uh, and when I hit that, like all sorts of good stuff started happening. You know, you, you suddenly all the goals that I would have had were a lot easier to attain because I had set myself up where I was doing that consistently. Definitely. It is consistency creates mastery. All right. Best uh, favorite baseball card that you own currently? Because you got a bunch of baseball cards behind you for those that are just listening. Best of favorite baseball card I own. That is, a, you know what? That came out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, I know. I have a bunch of cards. You know what? It's uh, Ichiro Suzuki. Ooh. Patch Auto is actually has a piece of his uniform in there and sign is limited to 25 made. Wow. Ichiro was uh, must-see TV when he was playing baseball. He was so – he never got the – even though he got a lot of credit, he never got the credit he was due. He was he's one of the greatest of all time. Definitely. One of my favorite players. Yeah. So uh, I collected cards when I was a kid. I, had a, I have a 76 – I think 76 Hank Aaron card I got at a card mm. show. I spent like 40 bucks on it as a, sh- as a kid and in the nineties. And you know how much money that was in the nineties? Like, but 
I still have that thing. I love it. It has survived multiple times of like my wife throwing things out, my my mom throwing things out. Yeah, I hate those stories. You hear people they have these great like baseball card collections or whatever. Somebody just threw them out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I collect as a kid. Most of those cards are, not, are worthless. But uh, when I got back into the, then I didn't collect for like 25, 30 years. And then when I got back into it, right before the pandemic, I went to eBay and all those cards, like a Don Madeline 84, Don, uh, Don Rist, like all the cards I couldn't afford as a kid, I went to eBay and bought it. Yes. And eBay totally changed everything. And then Don Madden was my favorite player as a kid. So I went there and bought these Don Madden cards. It was, only like, uh, it was like 100 cards for 10 bucs. I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, for childhood memories? Yeah. And me, it does nostalgia. Sure, I'll put them up and I did the magnetic pill. I'll put them up there. It just keeps me young. Yeah. I, keeps me I, young. So there's a couple of TikTok accounts that I follow that are literally only people opening baseball card packs, like old 90s era baseball card packs. There's just one guy. I wish I could remember his name. I'd give him a shout out. But he opens these things up. And if it has, even if it's got 30 year old gum in it, he puts the, he chews the gum. Right, and then he fl- <laughs> and then he flips through the cards, and these cards are like not worth anything, but still, like I'm like, oh, it's Burt Blylevin, right? Some random <laughs> '90s pitcher. I'm like, oh, you know, Andre Dawson. So, um, yeah, it's like financially they're worthless, but memory wise, yeah. they're priceless. That's what I tell you. They're worth nothing, money, but the the memory, the nostalgic, it makes you young. I think most of the time, once people th- realize stuff like that, collectibles, once people realize that they're going to be valuable one day, they lose value. It's the things that people yeah. never thought were going to be that value. Like before the show, we were talking about the Honus Wagner, Honus Wagner card, right? So nobody back in the, what was that, the 1910s or like the tens? Yeah, yeah, 1910s. That were opening up cigarette packs and pull out that card, thought like, oh, man, in 100 years, you know, I this could be worth a million bucks. Like I couldn't even fathom what a million bucks was back then. But um, that's a crazy – once people realize it's like Beanie Babies, right? Once everybody started like, oh, these are going to be worth a lot of money one day, uh, it's it, the gig was up. Bro. You know what's interesting since we're talking about that is like, uh, and I always like to look at that type of stuff because it gives you marketing ideas. Sure. Right? Because every idea, if something happens, you can take it to another industry. Um, all the cards I bought, like when I got back to like three years ago, the cards I bought for investment so I can flip and make some money. <laughs> I didn't really make any money on them. But out. the ones that bought because I personally liked them, like an Ichiro card I like because he's my favorite player with the Don Manley, those are actually the ones who have gone up in value. Oh, that's crazy. I, buy what you like. That's what it is. Buy what you like. Buy what you like. I buy like a Vladimir Guerrero because he's hot. But those cards haven't gone up much, much. But the ones I bought because I personally liked them and they actually gives me mental, sentimental value, those are the ones that have gone up. So you're a smart guy. I want to I wanna ask you, from a marketing perspective, how did Beanie Babies – get everybody to collectively believe that these little stuffed animals were going to be worth lots of money because it, like I don't, I don't know if you remember that phenomenon i don't know if you, yeah, yeah i mean i kind of remind like, i never got into it i think my answer would be because people want going to kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the show people want to make a quick buck easy buck right yeah it's like <clears throat> i have a couple i can just buy these stuffed animals and make a lot of money oh i'm gonna do it and, and actually this actually kind of happened to the sports car market three years ago when when a lot of people like me got back into it, we bought all these Vladimir Guerreros, these hot rookies. I could just buy them and then get them graded and flip them. I'll make some money. Yeah, if you're like the first couple of people that did it, it worked for a little bit. But once everyone's coming yeah. and talking about it, it doesn't work. And, and the, the mindset is it's so easy, easy money. There is no easy money, no. right? The money, the big money comes from what you talked about, the grind, the work. Yeah. And when the, the easy money is the ones who started it. 
But when everyone's getting into it, then there's no more easy money. Easy money is fleeting most of the time, right? Is that even and we always fleeting. yeah, and even the people that say like, you know, it's, it's easy money. Once you do a lot of work, I, even like even if you get to a place where you've built some giant piece of what, like you could look at Jeff Bezos who's retired from Amazon and like he's just pulling his dividends in or whatever, and you go, oh, that's easy money. Now I would bet that guy would disagree right it was his, i mean you're talking about his, his sacrifice his whole yeah, life his whole life right? like i mean in, his in, whole life sure his life's a lot better and he's got a lot but but i mean maybe like you you know a lot of times you look people elon musk right god bless him like one of the smartest people in the world one of the most successful people in the world dude it doesn't take but like 10 seconds on his wikipedia wikipedia page to realize that his personal life is a shit show right it's yeah, just a, just a just a one heartbreak after another and you sort of see that in interviews with him sometimes so it's a lot of sacrifice to get definitely to get there i don't i wanted to ask you that beanie babies question because like i've never understood you know i'm a kid i'm a 90s kid right i was born in 81 so by the time i got into the 90s i was the beanie babies thing happened and everybody was like oh these oh these are worth a lot of money and i just don't know how i don't know who started that conversation and everyone bought it but there's all these like, pictures floating around the internet now of like grown men and women like in divorce court and they're on their hands and knees dividing up the beanie baby collection in front of the judge because they they perceived it as so valuable those things are like like garage sale fodder now like it's 10 cents for 20 of them you know it's it's just i don't it's you know it's the same thing with baseball cards in the 80s same thing like oh you know the only ones who really made good money you know who they are the ones who really made a lot of money like the 80s baseball cards or like the beanie babies the, the people who actually yeah, made the, people, the Beanie Babies, the, they made a ton the of money. The the everyone's getting into it. They made tons of them. Everyone's just buying them up, and yeah. they're the ones who made a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So this has been great. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you today. Let's check on the sausage one more time. We're going to work on smell-o-vision, right, so we can send the smell. Okay, so I don't know if you can see that on the camera. We've got, like, a little puncture right there, and we've got a lot of moisture coming out. So this is about the time we're going to want to pull this off. All right. You ever do any grilling out, by the way? I should have asked you that earlier. I actually, I used to when I was younger. Mm. We do a lot of fish, salmon. Oh, yeah. You're out in California, right? I'm in California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so you got tons of stuff right there. I get a little little close up there. Oh, that looks awesome. good. Yeah, a little Polish, Polish action there. So, Simon, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, if people enjoyed listening to you, and I'm sure they did, where can they find you? Uh, they can go to Facebook or Instagram. It's Simon W. Chan. And uh, they can send me a message, and I actually reply back to every message. So look forward to connecting with everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Simon. We'll see you next time on the Slow Smoke Business Show.